Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. Down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know I am, and I am joined, as I am not always lately, but hopefully more often in the future, joined by the mighty Marshall and Melted Mad Wizard Merwin. What's up, Sean? Melted is, is good. Melted is close. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been a hectic couple of months, Chris, but let's get this back on track. Let's, uh, let's, let's do this. Darn Skippy. And for our announcements, we're going to talk about a number of core D&D products, because it's been a while. We haven't really got to talk about them. So, Sean, what's the first one? So, the first one it was just most recently announced, so I thought we would start with that, is the reprint of the Tyranny of Dragons adventures. So, if you remember, Chris, back in the Wild West of 5E's launch, there were two adventures um, created. One was Horde of the Dragon Queen, and the second was The Rise of Tiamat. Uh, they were the first two hardcover adventures released for 5th edition, yep. and they are going to be re-released and bound as a single adventure with a new cover by the alt cover creator of choice these days, Hydro 74. So like, is that going to be like a 500-page book that you can kill somebody with if you hit them? Pretty much, it sounds like. Um, they are going to do um, new concept art and do errata. They've reworked the opening chapter of the first adventure. Um, if you remember that, I, I don't want to give spoilers just in case people haven't uh Isn't haven't there like a it. cap on spoilers of like five years or something like that? Right, but they're going to they're gonna re-release it. I don't know. Um, the the opening chapter is actually very evocative, but it's very deadly. You're talking um, about Greenest, right? Yes, Greenest. And uh, so I guess they are going to rework that, put errata in. Um, so for you people who have come to the D&D hobby and game later and haven't had the chance to check this out yet, this is a perfect opportunity to go and buy those first two adventures as a single bound adventure. Uh, and take advantage of all the new features, the errata, the new opening chapter, and so on. That should be pretty cool. I mean, I've seen the pictures of the alt cover already, and it looks amazing. So Yeah. All right, let's do number two. The new Essentials Kit is available at Target. And uh, elsewhere, starting in September, it seems like? Yep. So it's been out at Target since the end of June. Uh, and starting in September, you will be able to get it everywhere else in the world. Um, but for the time being, it is only available at Target. I do not live near a Target, but I do live near a computer. And you can go to Target.com and order one and have it sent directly to you. So, you know, people have been complaining, oh, it's only at Target. I can't get it. It's sold out, et cetera, et cetera. A, it's not sold out. You can get it pretty much. Uh, maybe it's sold out at your Target, but it's not sold out worldwide. And at target.com uh, you are able to order it so for those of you freaking out about that no need hmm. and for, from what i heard target um was like the best place to buy starter packs starter kits and in fact they outsold as far as i know amazon which is absolutely amazing and so as a reward for that um you know wizards gave them this 
opportunity and they are making great use of it as far as I can tell because it seems to be flying off the shelves. Really? Like I I that's not the story that I heard about this thing. No. I mean, I I can't I can either confirm or corroborate this uh but what I I mean, I wish I could cite my sources here, but I don't remember where I saw it, but what I heard was that Target wanted a new starter kit and they asked Wizards of the Coast if they would uh if they would do so and they would um, front half the money or some amount of the money to have them printed for Target, which is why it got made. And that's just as possible as well. I I don't have any further information on that, but I know it's out. I know it's there, and I know I have one. Ah, and that that is why um that is why a lot of people were angry. A lot of game stores were angry that Target got this thing and they weren't allowed to have it for a while. And I just thought that was um. I didn't know what to do except shrug my shoulders at poor game stores. I'm like, you're not Target? Sorry? Yeah, I mean, game stores are great. Um, There are certain game stores that shoot themselves in the foot um, by their actions or inactions. And there are certain game stores that are great. And I tend to look at it in the light that the game stores that are doing things right are thriving. And Mm -hmm. I know that several in Buffalo... Uh, they're opening right and left, it seems. There's got to be at least a dozen new game stores oh, since, you know, since 2012. There's a lot, yeah. Yeah. And they are they are doing well. They are running you know, Adventures League. They are keeping things in stock that people want. They are, you know, doing, doing the right things, if you will, to uh, maximize their profit and engage the community. And so Wizards can only do so much for them. Uh, They get alt covers now, uh, Mm -hmm. exclusive alt covers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that brings the collectors and and others in. So, you know, that's the attention. Then you as whatever business owner need to do everything else you can. You know, not to mention that magic is like printing money if you run it correctly. So it's it's very true. I also think it's cool that Target has this product like that. That's neat. Neat to me. Yeah, and it it shows the broader uh, reach of the game as the fifth edition rules uh, are ongoing. Yeah. So that's also, if the thing is true that you said before that I didn't know, which probably is also the the idea that more starter kits get sold at Target than anywhere else. Like I'm like, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's so, fantastic. I mean, it's it's great. Mm-hmm. So what the box contains, this D and D Essentials kit, is New rule books for onboarding players. Um, an adventure called Dragon of Ice Spire Peak. And new one-on-one rules variants where you can play with one DM and one player. Which I, uses, I believe, the sidekick rules that we saw in Unearthed Arcana. Uh-huh. That's neat, right? Like I, I think that's yeah. really cool that they have one-on-one rules in this product. Yep. And it was also announced on D&D Beyond that there will be three follow-up adventures to Dragon of Ice Spire Peak. Really? Um, yes. So how far does Dragon of Ice Spire Peak take characters? I believe it takes them to fifth. So is there going to be like a 6 to 10, uh, 11 to 15, it, and a 16 to 20? I think it's 6, 7. Maybe it takes them to fifth. Then there's going to be a six, seven, a seven, eight, eight, nine, or nine, ten, or something like that. Um, I, I only know because I worked on them, <laughs> but, 
but I can't remember the levels off the top. I, of I will tell you. I'm looking at them right now. I, I looked okay. it up. So the cool. Stormlord's Wrath, which is coming soon, it's a D&D adventure for 7th level characters. Yep. Then there's uh, Sleeping Dragon's Wake, which is coming mm-hmm. soon after that, which is for 9th level characters, and Divine Contention, which is for 11th level uh, adventures. Would you like me to read the little blurbs for them? Why not? Sure. So the Stormlord's Wrath, abandoned for many years... Leon was uh, once a fortified settlement midway along the high road from Waterdeep to Neverwinter. Under the paid service of the Lord Protector Dalgalt Neverember, citizens of Neverwinter have returned, intent on re-establishing Le- uh, Leon. I can't. Do you know the name of that town? I, I call it Leylon. Leylon. Thank you. I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. Leylon as safe waypoint once more. Unfortunately, followers of Talos have arrived, and they've brought the weather with them. That's interesting because, you know, Talos, Stormlord, good stuff. Yes. Um, Sleeping Dragon's Wake. Despite the depredations of those in the service of the Stormlord Talos, citizens of Neverwinter continue their work to rebuild the town of Lelion and reestablish it as a fortified waypoint on the high road betwixt Neverwinter and Waterdeep. Wow, betwixt. It's interesting they put, how often do you hear the word betwixt in a sentence? Anyways, all the time. Is that a thing for you? Anyways. However, to make matters worse, a cadre of villains devoted to both Miracle, God of Death, and the Cult of the Dragon have risen from the Mirror of Dead Men to strike out as well. That sounds like a fun adventure. Oh, yeah. And then Divine Contention. The ghosts of the Swords of Lelion have returned to bring warnings so that you might protect their beloved town and prevent two great evils, both competing for the same prize, from wiping it from the Sword Coast once more. You must enter the Ethereal Plane, prevent the followers of Talos and Miracool from gaining possession of an artifact of great evil, and put down the forces of not one, but two vile deities. Those are really good-sounding adventures to me. I think that they will be fun to play. Based on my knowledge of them, yeah, I'm I'm into it. All right, I yep. mean, you you wrote them, you wrote, you worked on them, didn't you? Yeah, you said. Yep, yep. Uh, I worked on them with James and Tricasso and Will Doyle. Well, I mean, yeah. There you hey, go. everyone, if you want some good D and D adventures like that's, you should just go grab those. It's fine. Yep. So they will be coming out. Uh, I don't know if they will be available. I don't know where they will be available. I know they will be available on D and D Beyond. Um, but that's all I know at this point. So, oh. there you go. Okay, let's move on to the next product. Uh, the yeah. Ghosts of Saltmarsh and the Acquisitions Incorporated books that are now out in the world. Um, can right. I see the Ghosts of Saltmarsh book? The, it just looks gorgeous. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. looking book. I've seen it out oh. in game stores already. Yeah, I have. I mean, I flipped through it. I haven't read it word for word yet. Uh, but it looks great. The adventures that they have updated uh, are some of the you know some of my favorites the salt marsh series um salvage operation isle of the abbey tamaro's fate and the styes are all you know well-known adventures from previous editions that have been updated by a team um it's like the cobalt press team i think uh updated them for wizards so you know they're top-notch designers all on their own and it also has things like uh ships ship to ship combat new magic items new monsters all of that so you could run it as a campaign you can pull individual ones to insert into your own campaign um great great product and it's been out for a, you know a couple of months now but for those people that were complaining that not enough content has been being created uh, i think this year has shown that um i think they're creating more content now yeah there's a ton of official content these days Yep. It's almost too much to keep up with. 
Almost. Almost. That That's why we're doing this quick recap of what's been coming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Can I say the thing that is most interesting to me about that is the uh, ship-to-ship combat? Mm-hmm. I like I, I've been I love ship to ship combat mechanics. I've been looking around for some for uh, something I'm working on. So like it's 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 good that they exist. I'll have to. I don't yeah. actually have this book yet. I'll have to pick it up just for that. You should do that. So uh, you know, tell me about this acquisitions incorporated book since you know you wrote a bunch of it. Yeah. So this book came out a month or so ago. It the question I get the most is I don't know what acquisitions incorporated is is this book still for me? And I I think the answer is yes. As someone who worked on it and as someone who took great pains to make sure that there was something in the book for everyone. So the there there is content in the book that deals strictly with Acquisitions Incorporated. There are some in-jokes. There are some, you know, some things where if you are an Acquisitions Incorporated fan and know about the series or the C-Team stream, you will get a little more out of the book. But you do not need to know anything about Acquisitions Incorporated, and there are many reviews out there that say exactly that. I bought the book not knowing if it would be for me. When I read it, I realized not only is it for me, uh, it's hilarious. So I I appreciate those reviews, and that's what we were shooting for. Mm-hmm. So even if you don't want to run a comedy sort of game, there are franchise rules that will allow you to do things like create guilds or create businesses that you can run as a serious game. Um, ways to use your downtime to uh, to increase the uh, scope of your business, to increase the profit of your business. Uh, things about hi- uh, hiring uh, assistants, hiring hirings, hirelings, hiring skilled and unskilled laborers to do some of the business stuff in the book for you while your party goes out adventuring. All of that's there. Um, there are new, there's a new race called the Verdun, um, who were a group of goblins and hobgoblins who ran afoul of a ancient deity called that which endures kind of a entropy god Mm -hmm. and it altered them it wiped out their memories and it started mutating them so they were deep underground and they didn't know who they were where they were what they were doing none none of their um if you want to call it like jungian racial memories were were there so they emerged into the light and had no idea what they were doing, mm-hmm. but they were very curious and they were constantly mutating or are constantly mutating. So, um, you know, it's, it's a good way to introduce, I think, new players to the game because they don't have to have this knowledge of this is what elves are. This is what dwarves are. These are, this is what gnomes are. You are, if you are this new race, you are learning as you know, your character is learning as you are learning. So you might go into a dwarven settlement and start adopting their culture. But then when you travel to the elven forest, you might start adopting some of their culture. So you, you kind of get to play this, uh, this really neat concept of just learning as you go. That's a really good way to get people into the game because yeah. it, I mean, you can actually avatar yourself in. Yep. 
and uh, so there's the rules for the franchise. There's new spells. There's new monsters. And then there's an adventure uh, that takes you from levels one through six. And we designed it very specifically so it, it incorporates the franchise rules that we created. But it is also a very standard uh, trope of collecting pieces of an artifact as you go. So you do not need to use the faction rules. You could play this straight up as a regular old adventure. Um, you just pull out any of the Acquisitions Incorporated uh, influences and you run it straight as we found out about this artifact. We have to gather pieces and go. So, yeah. I think it's fascinating. Um, I like the idea that there's more rules for downtime, and it seems like there's more rules for spending gold, which I was f- mm. seem to have a problem with in D anD D these days. Like, there's nothing to yeah. spend your gold on. So, right, yep, and and that was another thing that we kept in mind as as we uh, as we wrote it was that gold tends to pile up, and since you can't buy magic items as per the the you know regular rules of D anD D, then there should be something for you to spend it on. Why <laughs> not spend it on your party? Or you mean? Your f- your franchise you mean per previous versions of D D? sure yeah yeah because that, that's that's a thing in this this version of the game it's not really there right all right well that's uh acquisitions incorporated so let's yep. move on to our last product that we want to touch on which is Baldur's gate descendant to avernus which comes out on september 17th and there's of course going to be an alt cover for that and um I don't know. I'm, this is probably the book that I've been looking forward to most for for a while from from Dungeons and Dragons. Like I can't wait to get my hands on this adventure. I'm as excited about this one as I was about the Ravenloft book. Yeah, I'm very excited about it too. Um, we've gotten a little bit bit of a taste of of it with the D and D Open and one of the D and D Epics for Adventures League that came out. Uh, it's played at a few places now. It played at the Descent uh, show in. In L.A., it's played overseas in, in U.K. Um, the D&D Open is starting to be played elsewhere now. And so you get a taste for what this is going to be like with the in- Infernal War Machines, uh, the Soul Coins, the demons that are traveling around at your ankles, uh, sorry, the devils that are traveling around at your ankles, offering you deals. You know, all of that flavor has, has been there for those events. So... Uh, I can't wait for the book itself to come out so we can, you know, show the world what it's like to adventure in Avernus. I, I just want to have those scenes and those moments where you're in hell, the first level of hell, driving around in these machines, having like Mad Max style um, fights on uh, m- machines that are moving at rapid speeds. If that's not a thing that happens in the adventure, I'm going to be very disappointed. And I was make it happen in the adventure, but still, I'd be very disappointed if that's not in there. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Well, there you go. All right. Okay. Ooh. And the, the the adventure itself uh, takes characters uh, from levels 1 to 13 as they journey through, from Baldur's Gate through Avernus. Sounds good to me. I mean, it caps out right around the time that I like to end my D&D campaigns anyway. Yeah, 13th level is a good stopping point for me. Alrighty. Well, that's the product list that's coming up. That is almost a whole episode in and of itself since we've been talking for almost 19 minutes. Yeah, I mean, we could always do a deeper dive into any of those books, but we haven't, <coughs> excuse me, uh, we haven't 
sat down and really talked about anything in, in detail and, and on the product side. So I just wanted to take the time to show everyone who might not be aware, not follow things, um, what's available for them at this point. And you folks out there in listener land, if you want us to deep dive on any of these books, you should just let us know so that we know what you're interested in uh, for stuff like that. We've been very much enjoying doing the Designing Adventures series, which we're going to do part nine in a second. But if you let us know that you want us to talk about something, we will if there's enough mm -hmm. of you that clamor for it. That's right. All right. Well, let's get into part nine of our discussion about adventure design, challenges, resolutions, and consequences. Um mm -hmm. Sean, I think because we're so far in, we might break this into two pieces and we might talk about a little bit of it tonight or today and a little bit more of it uh, next time we get together. Does that seem reasonable? That, yeah, we'll see how it goes. That, that that might happen since we're already 20 minutes or so in. Yeah. All right. So you want to start us off? Sure. So as Chris said, we're going to talk about challenges, resolutions, and consequences uh, in this part of the of our talk. So. Whether you run a strictly mechanical game of D&D, like a tabletop skirmish game, or if you run the lightest of rules-light story games using D&D, or anything in between, you can't have drama without conflict. Dun, dun, dun! That's right. And conflict uh, in any narrative game requires a challenge, a resolution of that challenge, and then the consequences for the resolution that took place. Sean, I mean, I, I was trying to be silly, and you went very Professor Serious. I'm very impressed. Well, I, I try. And those consequences can be both story consequences or mechanical game consequences. It's true. So what we're going to do now is we're going to look at adventures in terms of the challenges that you as the DM present, whether they're the small challenges like encounters mm -hmm. or large ones like the plot-deciding choices that you're mm -hmm. interested in. I love those. Mm -hmm. And how to think through those resolutions and consequences as you create the challenge. And that, I believe, is the most important point to take out of this thing. As you think of challenges, you should always be thinking of resolution and consequence for what could happen as your players and their characters go through those challenges. All right. So let's, uh, we're, we're probably going to frame this discussion as like, here are the different kinds of challenges, and then here are the resolutions and consequences that kind of go with them and we'll probably provide some examples as we go along. Does that seem yep. reasonable? Uh, yes, sir. All right. So our list of challenges that we are going to explore around are monsters, traps, hazards, obstacles, puzzles, and character choices. There are probably more out there. There's probably ones we didn't think of. Uh, I can't think of any off the top of my head, which is why they're not on the list. So yep. uh, let's get into it. Let's talk about monsters. Mm -hmm. So monsters are... One of the most standard ideas of a challenge in D and I mean, that that just seems to be right, right, John? Yes. Yep. Yeah. When when you think of of D and D, uh, whether you're a long time you know player or just someone who has a passing uh, interest in the game, you know, usually the first thing you think of is dragons mm -hmm. because that's in the name, and they are usually things that you fight. Yeah. So when I look at a monster. Um, and I look at building an encounter, I mean, there is some amount of, um, and, and I start looking and thinking about the idea of the, uh, the resolution and the consequences of that. I'm, I'm sort of, I look at the math for the building of the encounter, of course, and all that stuff, but I feel like figuring that's that stuff out, the, 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 the end result of, of these encounter of this, this particular challenge is really about, um, what is the flavor of my monster? What role is it playing in, in my story? In, in my adventure 
and like where am I placing it and what does it do and why is it like in this position? Mm-hmm. And and those are all important. So um thinking of that, I I, I grabbed a shadow. Like I was mm-hmm. just looking around for a mouse, I'm like, let me let me grab a shadow and and look at that first. Like I want to use a shadow in my adventure. So like shadows, they're shades, right? They're undead shades. They're they're essentially um spirits that are pretty angry at the world in some way, shape, or form, and they're hungering for, for the life of of the living. Does that mm-hmm. seem seem about right? Yep. Alright, so then you can look at like what is what does a shadow do mechanically and then mm-hmm. where would you put a shadow? So like all that stuff kind of works for the shadow because they have like resistances to everything uh, and they're immune to a bunch of conditions because they're undead, right? Because that's how that works. Also, if you've ever fought or thought about fighting like a ghostly type thing, um, they're not super hard to hit usually, but you don't hurt them very much when you do hit them unless you have specific types of uh, damage. Right. So in this case, like shadows, they have an AC 12 and they have 16 hit points, but they're resistant to like everything except for radiant damage and they also don't like sunlight which makes a lot of sense for a shadow um the next thing is like well we have all that stuff where do we put them Mm -hmm. probably dark places um places some interesting ideas that came to my mind is like i think it'd be cool to have some sort of tomb with like Mm -hmm. shafts of light for contrast in that also it gives a tactical space for you to move around right Right. So then we now have like the kind of place that your shadow would be, that your challenge would be, um, which is just as important as the thing that you're actually using to challenge them. Mm-hmm. Um, once you get all that, then you can start thinking of the resolutions of the consequences. So like, right. I have a shade. Shade. It's probably angry. Start like, why is it angry? What's it trying to do to the characters? Aside from drain their strength, because they can do that. That is a, that is a consequence to fighting a shadow, possibly. Right. right. Yep. And then, of course, there is like, what happens when you kill the shade? What is that shade doing there? Is it in a tomb? Is it guarding this tomb for some reason? If you kill that shade, does the tomb now not have the guardian that it had before? And the thing that it was guarding, was it really a prison warden or something like that? Mm-hmm. Or was it uh, was it keeping people from getting to something to steal it? So, And that could be a consequence, too. Like, oh, good, you killed the tomb guardian. Now you can take the treasure out of the tomb. Yep. Same and, kind of deal. Yeah, the, I mean, you picked a great monster for this example. Uh, any undead is usually good, but but you know these sort of shadowy uh, monsters are great because they were once a person, mm-hmm. and so they could have a history. Yes, and and that history you can always use as part of the challenge, and then you can have different resolutions or consequences uh, based on that information. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you could just go ahead and you could just beat the shadow to death with your club. It's resistant to that sort of damage, but you can still do 32 points of damage and still kill it. Yes. And and then it's gone. But if you want to find a way to challenge the party on a different level, you can think, as we've talked about, the resolution and the consequences. So you could have several different resolutions based on that the information that the shadow might have, based on its former life or based on its current status, as Chris said, maybe of a guardian. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, put in the room since they're since they don't like sunlight, put in the room a holy symbol. 
to to a light god that if a player sees recognizes and can use it could light up the sun uh, you know the sunlight could stream from the holy symbol and do something maybe turn the shadow back into a person or now if you have okay go ahead as i say or if your characters are um of the sort of monster hunting persuasion like um like just killing the monsters that you run into isn't the game necessarily, but like learning information about the things that you're fighting. Like yep. maybe it's not about necessarily getting the holy symbol that's there, but like figuring out what the shadow is and then going back to find an item that belonged to them to help distract them when you come back to, to deal with the things so you can get around it. Mm-hmm. Like there's a whole bunch of things that you can do right. uh, from, from very simple or like very fairly direct, like the holy symbol is a fairly the holy symbol in the tomb is a fairly direct thing, right? Right. Like it's right there in the encounter. You just deal with it. It's not mm-hmm. something you have to think too hard about. To the whole like, well, we know this thing is in the tomb. We're really only first level characters. It's actually hard for us to kill this thing, so we really need to figure out who this person was, and go get the thing that would help us distract it so we can get by it. Right. Or or even banish it, right? Like, as, yep. you know, put the spirit to rest, essentially. Yep. Or we're very high-level characters, and we could destroy this thing with, you know, just one quick spell. But clues within the tomb, as you've been talking about, tell us that we we don't we might not want to do that, even though it would be the easiest thing in the world to do. Um, so you're challenging your players to think one level deeper than just go through and destroy everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but you just, you have to leave clues. Yeah. So let's break down real quick the, the idea of the resolution and the consequences in in those in what we're talking about. Because we're essentially saying, like, why is this thing here? Mm-hmm. What happens if you take one of two or three kind of actions that seem normal, Mm-hmm. Like that, that seemed reasonable to take in this situation, which is technically a writer's trick because writers will often be like, well, what's one way this could happen? What's another way that this could happen? What's a third way that this could happen? Yep. Um, then usually when you get to that third way, it's sort of the one, it makes sense, but it's not the first thing that anybody thinks of. That's usually exactly. what a writer tends to go with. Yep. Um, same thing for adventure design, except, except instead of doing that, you basically like write a paragraph or like, you know, three sentences of like, well, here are the most common po- possibilities for what will happen. Mm-hmm. If they don't do one of these, improvise based on the fact that I've given you this information. Sure. Yep. As long as you know the goal you know, of of the encounter. And what we're really talking about when we say goal is is resolution and consequence, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, what are the consequences of the, the various actions that they could take? Yes. And that is a... You can write them all out or you can just give guidelines. Like there is a number of ways that you can handle it. So, but knowing why and then how it probably will resolve in one or two ways, in two or three ways is probably the best way to do it. In my opinion, I don't know if you have a different opinion. No, I think, I think that's, that, you know, that's a great summary of what we're, what we're talking about here, especially when we talk about monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk, let me, can we talk about monsters again real quick from, from something that's a little bit larger? Sure. Let's talk about a dragon. Okay. So killing a dragon, especially a large one that has probably a large territory or any monster that has a large sway over a large area has a different set of consequences and resolutions than killing a shadow that's guarding it too. Yes. Because what you essentially do is change the power structure of what is going on in that area. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that is the thing to think about when you have your larger major encounters, right? Like, well, we just killed uh, Ardravox the Red, who was terrorizing this whole uh, country. Um, what happens next? Right. And that could be I mean, anything from like a blue dragon comes in to take uh, part of that territory to, um, a, you know, five armies show up to like take all the gold, you know, things yeah, like that. Right. Exactly. I mean, those are those huge concepts. I mean, the a dragon itself, especially an older one, has consequences written into the stat block, if you will, for, with those regional effects. Uh huh. Right. With a black dragon, the 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 water turns acidy. Right. Yeah. You know that 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 sort of thing. So, you know, those consequences are staring you right in the face as a DM anyway. So. Just the removal of those regional effects could mean something positive, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, you know, as, as Chris is saying, when you whenever you take something of great power out of a uh, out of a situation, there is that vacuum that will be filled. And if characters don't think ahead of time what could fill it, then you are definitely in the right as the DM to decide for yourself what's going to fill it and it should be something dramatic Mm -hmm. because that will create more conflict and more story yes uh i suppose that's my my commentary on monsters do you have anything else to add no i think i think we'll come back to it on and off uh, as we talk about other things but you know for the most part that's it you know your monsters don't have to just be sacks of hit points that once they're killed it just is a gate to go on to the next thing. Um, there are many ways that uh, players could deal with monsters. W- one thing I do want to mention uh, about it is a consequence that many writers forget about is what happens if the monster's captured rather than killed. And if it has a way to communicate, what information does it have that the players might... Um, want to get and then it becomes the that age-old question of okay we've talked to the monster whether whether it's an orc or a mind flayer or you know whatever from the highest level creature to the lowest what do we do with it mm-hmm. um and you know think about those consequences all the way through you know what if they release it what if they kill it what if what if they treat it nicely? What if they treat it poorly, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, and it doesn't have to be a lot of information if you're writing an adventure for um, for publication. And mm-hmm. if you're writing it for your, just your home group, you can just like leave yourself like a bullet point list of notes or whatever, or make it up right. on the fly. Yep. But but thinking about those things while you're doing this will help. But um, if you are writing for publication, it's they, you can just put a sidebar in that'll be a really short one that's like, all right, like this is what all of my kobolds tend to know. Right. If you're yep. running yep. through a cave with a bunch of kobolds. Right, with well, your bunch of kobolds serving a dragon, you know yeah, huh? the co- the kobolds that are outside. What do they know? The kobolds that act as the guards for the treasure room. What do they know? The kobolds that serve the dragon directly. What do they know? It's it's all a uh, it's all a continuum, if you will. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, okay, let's talk about. You want to do one more this week, and then we'll talk about the rest of them next week. Sure, sounds good. Yeah, because we're at 35 minutes by the time we get through this in the ending. Oh, All right, yeah. uh, let's talk about traps. I think traps are fascinating for something yes. like this. So let's go over the anatomy of a trap real quick, mm-hmm. the very short, short anatomy of a trap. So there's a trigger, there's an effect, 
There's how you discover it, and then there's how you disable it. Does that seem about right? I would say so, yes. All right. Now that we have these four things, um, the, uh, the, the resolutions and the consequences are like really kind of based on the idea of do you disable it or do you not disable it and what happens from that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, also, really finding it, because if you find a trap, you right. don't necessarily have to go that way. Right. Uh, the trigger after trigger and before effect is, you know, perceiving the trap. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Absolutely. So traps are, um, they kind of fit into the obstacle idea, too, but they're so ubiquitous because D&D is about, like, you know, traps are a thing, right? Right. Um, they, they tend to, like, harm characters. They tend to cause status effects. They tend to cause uh, resource losses. That is mm-hmm. generally their use, but there are some other ways that you can utilize them. Sort of like uh, I, I like the one of like um, the, uh, the the falling ceiling, the collapsing ceiling, because that can block off passageways. Right. Right. You can yep. change the pathing of the adventure that way. Absolutely. Yes. And that is a very large consequence that players might have to deal with. You know, if they so that's not just it does damage. That is, as Chris said, now you have to go all the way through the entire adventure, you know, the entire dungeon and come out the other side because you can't go back. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Yes, it's very huge. And I think when it comes to traps, like everybody, I think everybody out there kind of understands because we have very smart listeners um, that traps do harm characters. That's one of their primary functions. But it's all the other things that they can do that I think are the really neat things like that. Like we can change the course of the adventure. Um, they can provide warnings which will could alert the the rest of the complex that you might be in to the presence of the characters maybe not exactly where they are but that there's somebody around and that will change the nature of of whatever location that you're in Mm -hmm. that's another consequence um do you have any other consequences for traps well what what i like is rather than i think i need to step back and say you know traps i love traps traps are cool but traps can get boring if they're only used in the same way every time. Uh-huh. You know, and there, there's a trap on the door. Okay, great. There's a trap on the chest. Okay, great. Uh, you know, there's a trap in this side passage that leads to nowhere, just to um, mess with intruders. Okay, great. Um, but if it's if it's one after another after another after another and nothing else goes on so it's just the challenge is there's the trap the consequence is oh we take damage um and the resolution is we either bypass it um deactivate it or set it off then it it gets boring Mm -hmm. so what i like to do is use traps within other challenges to give the players one more thing to to deal with, to look at. And if they know a trap is there, it can also become a tool for the characters to use rather than just an obstacle for them to bypass. I'm 100% with you. I think that is a, a really cool way to, to place them because then the consequence and the resolution of them is that they become assets rather than mm-hmm. hindrances. Right. And so the more varied you can make uh, the resolution and the more varied you can make the consequences in in any of these things that we talk about, um, the more engaging an adventure will be. I agree with you. Um, It's just it's just fun, right? Like 
like th- those are the kinds of um and I don't use that term very often the idea of fun um I suppose I should define it like mm-hmm. instead of the 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 trap that will just do the thing like uh mm-hmm. harm you um because it's on a door they can be these dynamic um useful interesting adventure changing things Encounter, encounter two adventure-changing things, I think, is the, the best way to probably put that. Uh, so, I mean, like, I'm with you. Just think about those kinds of ways to utilize them, and those are the kind of consequences and resolutions. And a lot of time, we use consequences in the negative, but they don't have to be, right? No, no, absolutely not. And and that's one of the points I hope we're going to get across. You know, I hope we did get across, and we will in the next episode, is... You know, as you create any of these challenges, when you put monsters in, when you put traps in, don't just think about what it does. Think about what it means in the game and in the ongoing story. And as your players learn that you are thinking four steps ahead, they will start trying to think four steps ahead. And the challenge will then you know, increase for them. Uh, in terms of managing this entire construct that you've put together as a game and as a story and engage the players and their characters much more deeply. Yeah, that's. I think that's a good place to wrap up for today. Sounds, sounds good. Yeah, I mean, that's good advice. I hope everybody enjoyed uh, that. We're going to talk about hazards, which are a little light traps, but not exactly. Uh, obstacles, which are... Uh, Traps and hazards could be obstacles, but there's a, another level to it. Uh, mm-hmm. Puzzles, which I, I feel like I'm going to have to let Sean take that one, because me and puzzles don't have a good relationship <laughs> in, in D&D games. Um, and then the idea of choices, which I love. So, yep. uh, With that, though, let's do some Patreon shout-outs. Make sense? Sounds good. Cool. Brandon Barnes, the old-school DM. Yeah, the Mad Wizard Merwin, who patrons his own show. Uh, Troy Sandlin, Will Doyle, Zach Goins, Chris Constantine, Cindy Moore, Eric Mengi, Eric Simon, Miko Froelich, Andrew Dempsey, of E. Waxberg, Brett Just Brett, Chris Steele, Curtis Y. Takahashi, T. Kustik, Thomas Bagley, Victor Wyatt. Uh, did I repeat anybody? I did not yet. Uh, Daniel Thomas, Dennis Malloy, J. David Chrisman, J.T. Evans, Jared Rashel, Jim Pixelscapes Gagney, Joseph Peralta, Mike Amer, Ninja B., uh, The Rainmaker, Richard Ruane, Richard Wyatt, Rory McLeod, uh, Savannah Sizer, Scott Ryder, Sean P. Kelly, Stephen Farrell, and the Tabletop Bellhop. Thank you so much for being our patrons. And speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Down with D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page on the website. Please do. We'd appreciate it. And mm-hmm. for $2 a month, you can get yourself a shout-out. Or for $4 a month, you get a shout-out like you just heard, but you also get to see our show notes and access to our Slack room where you can chat with us. If you can't help us monetarily, but you want to give us a boost, you can do so with a podcast review, preferably on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, since Apple Podcasts is the way that many podcatchers use uh, that system to rate and rank their shows, and that helps make us more visible. Or, you know, you could just share our links and our our goodness with your friends. Yeah, talk about us on Twitter, talk about us on Facebook. Greatly appreciate it. Yes, please. Sean, where can we find you on the Internet? Uh, the best place to find me is on Twitter at Sean Merwin. How about you, Chris? Uh, I am at the light one Oh one, but the network Twitter is at misdirected Mark. That's all Twitter. Uh, or you can just go to the website. That's always a good place to leave comments. We get them. We have a social media person who constantly sends us stuff that you, that you put out towards us. Yes. 
Uh, you can also listen to other great shows on the network, too, such as the Misdirected Mark podcast, where myself, Phil, and Bob, we go live every Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern on Twitch to break down and get inside games, game mastering, playing games, and game design in an effort to entertain and inform you. Down with D&D is a Misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Sean, buddy, old pal, what are we going to do now? We're going to go kill or talk to or walk around some monsters. You down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know me.